This is Amstigator, a podcast founded on purpose, but focused on the path to get there. Experience is the best teacher, right? And in this season of Amstigator, we're going all in on female perspective of women and wisdom as we answer one specific question. What's the lesson here? You'll hear from my best girlfriends and favorite female collaborators as we share deeply about what we're here to learn and teach as we guide other women to purpose. In the summer of 2021, I met Pat Shea for the very first time, first in a phone call and then over smash burgers and fries. They were to die for. At the time, Amstigator was still very much a secret, and I was only just beginning to plan what turned out to be a marathon, three-day, 13-episode shoot for season one. But something about the connection with this woman who was sitting across from me, who had brought me to the greatest burger place, compelled me to tell her everything. And within the hour, she had named my podcast, hooked me up with three season one guests, and cemented herself as one of my biggest supporters. Ever since that day, I have loved Pat Shea. And we learned later, we live down the street from each other. So often, she and I will meet up for makeup-free coffee or stare at the moon with a glass of wine. And I've always wanted her to be one of my podcast guests. So I'm finally so excited to say that this is her episode. Around Nashville, Pat Shea is extremely well-known in the business and nonprofit community. She's most honored for the 11 years she spent leading Nashville's YWCA. Now, because of her, the YW became a powerhouse organization that champions women, it fights domestic violence, and it raises up really a who's who of female leadership in this city. She also made the organization a fundraising juggernaut, and we're talking millions of dollars raised because of her. Her annual breakfast would routinely raise $400,000 in an hour. After her work with the YWCA, she co-founded a tech startup in the giving space called Giveful. And after three years, they successfully sold off the company. And that was in 2020. So in the beginning of this episode, she shares about the platform and the concept of being Giveful. Again, that was the name of the company. So you'll hear in this episode how giving is really a prominent part of her personal story. Pat sees giving as a form of self-care, not the kind of giving that women typically do, right? Not the kind where you're already tapped out on the verge of a breakdown and then you break your back to give more. No, not that. In this episode, she talks about joyful giving and then shares what the research says about people who give. I mean, in spoiler alert, it's that they're happier they're healthier, and then they do more. And one of my favorite quotes from this episode, which you're going to hear today, is when Pat says, an act of giving is showing that you truly love yourself. And it's a concept I plan to really promote on the Amstigator Instagram page this week because I guarantee what she presents today is an argument you have never heard before. It is so radically different than what we typically think about when we think about giving. Now, at this point in her life, She only works on things that she believes will make a difference. It's a powerful stance from a powerful woman. So with that, I'm excited to introduce Pat Shea with the lesson, How Giving Connects Us. So Pat Shea, we're fast friends, right? We became fast friends. Yes. I I, I loved what you were going to do. Yeah. And I remember saying to you, I've got this wild idea and this word, amstigator, and I barely got the word out of my mouth. And you're like, I love it. I do love it. <laughs> I think it's neat when you create your own vocabulary, when you create your own rules. Yeah. All those things well, are that, That's what you've important. done. Tell me, tell me about some of your life, because I feel like you've gotten this, to get everybody up to speed, you've got this really interesting like story that gets you to this point through not only business, but the nonprofit, and then a startup, and then now the reinvention of Pache. Well, I don't know how interesting it is, but it's been fun. <laughs> I grew up in Wheeling, West Virginia, very big Catholic family, a lot of control, couldn't wait to leave. Uh, my favorite job was waiting tables in a truck stop. I learned a lot. That was a great job. I sold more ice cream and alcohol than anybody. It was really fun. <laughs> well, it's like the beauty, the beautiful things of life. That's what it you was. were selling. It was great. Uh, went away to college and then ended up in Nashville. Came to Nashville with my first husband, who's delightful. <laughs> also, he's the father of my son. He's, he's a great guy. Uh, so I've been here 40 years, and in 40 years, I spent about 18 years in corporate America at, at 
mostly HCA and a startup healthcare company. I ran a lot of consulting at HCA, so I um, created services and built products and delivered them to the hospitals that HCA owned and managed. Mm. Then I um, started a women's healthcare company that was a physician practice management company. And it was really exciting, and we were in the physician practice market. And the market blew up and had yeah. nothing to do with us. So after about 18 months, maybe about 24 months, we literally had to close the company, and I was 40. Wow. And I was in the Bellmead Kroger, and I was on the cover of the business journal. <laughs> and it was like, only female healthcare company closes. And we looked like criminals. Wow. <laughs> the pictures were not flattering. So um, I took a little bit of time off, and I was volunteering, and a nonprofit leader said, I could really use your help raising money. Yeah. So I was doing it as a volunteer. Did you know that you were a fundraiser at that time? Oh, gosh, no. Well, then how did this person know that you would be really good at raising money? Well, I had volunteered. Um, I had volunteered nonprofits quite frequently, especially before I had Zach. And um, I don't know. I think like you, if I can see it, I feel like I can make it happen. Yeah. So I just started doing volunteer work, and the next thing I knew, she started paying me, and the next thing I knew, I was running programs. And back then, because this was 20 years ago, business acumen and nonprofit fundraising was critically important. There are a lot of people today skilled in those arenas, but 20 years ago, it was, you know, I really felt like I, I had something the nonprofit community could use. Yeah, with your business background. Yes. And not just a business background, you were running some major stuff. Yes. And so you come into nonprofits with this, as you put it, your acumen, yes. which was invaluable. It's fun. And I had volunteered at the YW when I was 23 to about 32. Oh, wow. And ran, you know, as a volunteer, ran programs. I love the YW. And as soon as that position for CEO came opened, I was all over it. Oh, really? And I remember telling Zach, he was like eight. And I said, I'm applying for this job and I'm going to get it. And he said, Mom, I don't think you should be so conceited. <laughs> <laughs> that's not conceited. To me, that's like, I see, I'm going to set the landmark here. Yeah. I see that. As you were saying, like, I can see it in my mind. It's going to happen. Like, it, it's already going to happen. And that it was one's perfect. It was, it was a great, I was there 11 years. I met all the goals I set. It was, when I got in, there was a little bit of a financial disaster. Yeah. And, um didn't really have a very well-developed brand in the community. So I had a lot of great opportunities. Yeah. And uh, really, at that time and place, believed that when I could see something, I could make it happen. Mm. And that creating a vision was about getting other people to adopt your vision and make it their own. Yeah, that's a skill. And then get out of their way. It was fun. <laughs> so Help the YW me. was fun. And then when I left there, um, took a little bit of time off, and then I got invited to co-found a tech startup in the giving space. Yeah. And we did that for about three years. COVID really was hard on us, um, but we made it through, and then we were able to successfully sell the company. And I, it's doing well right now, so give full... I think about 5 million people wake up every day with the opportunity to give straight from their paycheck yeah. because of Giveful. So that was kind of fun. Yeah, that's. I was going to ask you a little bit more about Giveful because Giveful is spelled G-I-V-F-U-L, right? Yes. G-I-V-F-U-L. And when it was acquired, tell me who it was acquired by and how it's being used now and what Giveful did in the initial. So there was a large payroll company, and basically all they were was the platform company. So what they do is they create a SaaS product, and then they sell that SaaS product to multiple payroll companies across the country. And the SaaS product was really focused on small companies under 100 employees. So um, their company name is iSolve. They bought our platform, then integrated Giftful into their basic product. So any company that gets their platform and then resells it to an employer brings the Giftful capacity forward. They did not take the brand. They took the technology. They took our whole team, which was wonderful. And um, I think most of the team is still there, which is good. But, it, you know, it's funny how you set out... Like I said, I wanted to do Giveful because I wanted to grow giving. Mm. I wanted to create an opportunity for almost to democratize giving, to mm. put it at your fingertips so yeah. that you could do it anytime, anyplace. And I think we did that, but we did it not in the way that I had predicted. Yeah. I, I think something that you've said before has really struck me, that you 
you did step into the YW, for example, and you started bringing huge amounts of money, like millions of dollars in fundraising to that organization. And then you noticed the thing that was hard to get was what you called small money donations. Yes. So just like me giving, here's $25, or me, here's $100. That was harder to get than, say, $50,000 from a major corporation. That surprised me, because initially I would think, no, it's the opposite. But give full address that concern, because really it did. allowed people to, it, it, do I understand it correctly, that they can give straight from their, from their paycheck? Yes. It was a very cost-effective way. And so the reason I, I said that, because... Honestly, it used to frustrate me. A gift of $50 or $75 or $100, which is a nice contribution, most nonprofits will spend that in managing that gift and then continuing to solicit that donor. Mm. And so there's not a lot of um, efficiency and, oh. in that. So you give a $50 to a nonprofit, they probably spend that $50 on trying to keep you engaged. Mm. But when you raise $50,000... You know, there's a lot of efficiency. And what Giveful did is it created a platform that you could engage a donor without the personal time, right? right? And she was in control of her giving. Yeah. So she could log in in the morning and look at 1.5 million charities across the United States wow. and make a contribution. Or she could see what you did over the weekend. There was a live feed so you could communicate mm. within your company about your charitable contributions. And she might see that you built a Habitat house and then she makes a contribution in your honor. So it really kind of democratized and yeah. made it um, tech-based. Yeah. So it was fun. Which our whole lives are tech-based. Now they this are. Way, right? Everything, yeah. everything I feel like is automated. And we, we try to make things simpler. And that just really simplified the process. And this was seven, six or seven years ago. Yeah. Today there are a number of giving platforms. Uh, but when Walker Morrow and Sada Garba started this, they, they were ahead of the game. It was kind of fun. Yeah. So. Great I bet, partners. I bet that was so cool to be, I, I would feel like maybe an honor to be asked to come in and to be the leader of that kind of startup. Well, it, it <laughs> it's an interesting story because Walker, who was so determined to launch this product, he, um, he just kept saying, you're perfect, you're perfect. And I was like, well, tell me more, tell me more. And I yeah. got the concept and I also very much understood the need. And I'm very passionate about giving. But I said, so what can you pay me? He goes, oh, we don't have any money. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have anything, but we can we can give you ownership of what might be. Yeah. And so, you know, it is kind of a funny, yes, it was very nice to be uh, wined and dined um, in the coffee store. Um, <laughs> but it's not like they came after you with a big package. Yeah. It was really a big dream. Yeah. So, and we had a good time. COVID was hard. Yeah. COVID really uh, made it hard. We launched our... Brand new enterprise product, March 1st, and went home March 15th. Oh, my. So for about six months, nobody was interested in a volunteering and giving platform. <laughs> so it was kind of a pain. but Yeah. But look, I mean, it's, it. it's done now. It's yeah, done now. It it's sold. Everybody, you know, got a nice payday. And here, and here it, you go. It all worked out. But I, I frequently equated to Solly landing on the Hudson. <laughs> I always say, yeah, but he... Wasn't supposed to land on that. So yeah. we really hadn't planned to sell Giftful to a payroll company. But, I mean, it worked out. It worked out. And it worked out for everybody. Well, and you are someone who is so focused on giving and not just giving monetarily. You are such a person who is generous of spirit, you know. And I, I love kind. that about you, that when when you feel a connection with a person or feel a connection with a cause, you just don't stop giving to it. You give people. You give connections. You give money. You give time. You give energy. You give love. It's really beautiful. Well, thank you. It feels natural. But it's also, you know, when I first got into fundraising, it's hard when you first start raising money because everybody else says, how could you do that? How can you ask for money? How can you beg? Well, how do you? Well, like, you, how, like how do you do it? Well, what you realize is human beings need to be connected. They need to be part of things significant and relevant. And so if you have a good cause... And I come to you and say, hey, would you write a check for $1,000 for the YWCA? I'm actually doing you a favor. And that was how I framed it up. In my head, everybody I encountered was looking to be part of something good, mm. looking to make a difference, looking to feel, like I said, human need to be connected. And the YW was very well run. We had amazing services. We still do. The YW still has great services. And so when you got involved with us, I was actually doing it to help you. Yeah. So 
and that made all the difference in the world. Yeah, everybody does want to have meaning and everybody and does. feel like the donation they give or the efforts they give have meaning. That and I I see how you're saying mm-hmm. it. I I don't know that I've ever heard anyone put it that way. I'm doing you I, me taking your money is a favor to you. It but is, I like and it. you don't try to convince anybody. So like if you ran into someone for whom the symphony was their passion, mm. I'd be like, "You go, girl." I didn't try to persuade people. Yeah. I found people who cared about eliminating racism and empowering mm-hmm. women, who cared about domestic violence, mm-hmm. who cared about GED programming and girls programming. And when you find those people, they're actually almost falling over themselves, yeah. saying, how can I help? How can mm-hmm. I help? That's smart. Find. I, I think people, anyone could take that. You know, If you need someone to support you, find someone who supports the cause, and then you create the ask. Your vision has to become their vision. Yeah. And then get out of their way. <laughs> I love that. Literally. So you know season three. I mean, you've you've seen every iteration of, of Amstigator, season one and season two, which were very, very closely, closely tied mm-hmm. together. Season three has been a, a slight shift because you you know that I'm obsessed with women. You know how much I love women and I, I just love I just love everything about women. I think we're so powerful. I think we run the world. I think we sometimes don't step into all the power that we have. So I really wanted to really focus on women in season three. And also in season three, I want every episode to answer the question, what's the lesson here? You know, like, what are we learning? Because we can teach each other. You know, we can teach each other through all of the things that we go through. And it's up to us to share the lessons. Mm-hmm. So to you, Pat Shea, I ask you, is there a lesson that you're either consistently learning over and over, or is there something that you're learning in real time? So that's that's a big question, and it's a fun question. So I love men because I have a husband and a son, but I completely enjoy women, and I enjoy helping women, working with women. And one of my favorite quotes is give a man a fish he eats for the day, teach a man to fish he eats for a lifetime, teach a woman to fish and she feeds the village. (laughs) And that's what I think I've learned in this lifetime is (laughs) women and I, we see the connectivity. I don't know if it's because we're mothers and sisters. I'm not sure where the origination comes from, but the lesson I've learned and the lesson I live by every day is that connectivity. Mm-hmm. We are all connected and we are all responsible to take care of each other. Yeah. You know, humanity is one big human race. Yeah. And I frequently watch a news story or read an article and think, how does that mother feel? Right. You know, what is that mother thinking about her son going to war or her daughter, you know, fighting for a cause? Right. So I really do think this idea that we are all connected on this planet at this time is something that I wish everybody would Mm. practice and consider when they go about their days. Yeah. Um, But it influences what I do every single day. Is that something you came into that lesson or was it always very clear to you? I think like even learning about fundraising and learning that I am giving someone an opportunity understanding human basic needs. So over time, you just see the same results and you realize Mm. that connectivity is what brings happiness and joy. Um, So stories like I had a woman who gave me $20,000 for an educational fund for women who are victims of domestic violence. And every year I got to pick one woman in our program and I got to pay for all her out-of-pocket expenses so she could go to college. Wow. Fast forward five years. One of the women that we funded was speaking at a pretty large engagement. The woman who'd write the $20,000 check is sitting in the audience and realizes she made this woman who went on to get her PhD. She changed this woman's life, right? I have goosebumps. So at the end of that event, there's the woman who's gotten her PhD, who's gotten out of an abusive relationship. But the woman who got more is the woman who wrote the $20,000 check. She was sobbing. She said to me, I've never felt. So like what I did mattered. I never felt like my money had this kind of impact. I saw what I did. So those kind of events, those kind of stories and experiences really has reinforced in my mind Mm. um, this connectivity. And then I've watched us in recent recent years with the political divide, COVID, Mm. 
what I think is hurting us the most right now is this divide. Yeah. It's almost like we're being pushed apart, and that's not human nature. Hmm. What, who and what are doing the pushing then? Well, I think COVID pushed us apart. Yeah. COVID pushed us into seclusion, right? Uh, I think politics, I think the fact that we fight so much over our beliefs and we don't see the bigger picture. Which, which is, is we're all the same. Yeah. And a lot of us want the same thing. We're kind of all the same. We are. Cut us in half and we're all the same inside. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we're sitting on a planet that's five billion years yeah, old. And, right. you know, when you look at um, what's going on around us, we are so one on this yeah. planet. And I just, I wish more people thought of it that way and saw it that way. Mm. But that's kind of my number one lesson is we're sort of one connected entity. And then two, I really believe everything we need is here. And again, I found that time and time again in the nonprofit space, but I also found it in business. When you needed something and it was good for everybody involved, yeah. you would find the resources required. You know, that that brings up an interesting idea. And it almost to me expresses, do you remember Manifest Destiny? Do you remember learning about Manifest Destiny? No, okay, this is what like, is Manifest this Destiny? This is going back to like high school, um, high school history classes, okay? Manifest Destiny is basically what um, what the early American, I shouldn't say the early Americans, the, the early settlers, yes. so 1600s, 1700s, by the time that they started doing the gold rush in the 1800s out to out west, this concept was Manifest Destiny, where they were saying, this is our destiny to go settle California, to mm -hmm. go settle, you know, fill in the blank. So we began taking land from Native Americans, and we and we said, this is ours, this, is, this belongs to us. So let's take away maybe the negative implications of something like that. You're also, it seems like you're applying that in, in your way. Like, if this is beneficial to everyone, then let me manifest this destiny for this organization, or for this cause, or for this particular need. Do, does it? Do you see the correlation there, I do or does see it feel different to no, you? No, I do see the correlation. I think for me, sometimes my experience is when I saw something that was right, and when I say right, it's almost like um, a truth people would get behind when you identify that. Then it's not hard to get the people and the resources to gather because, again, it goes back to basic human need. People want to do things. They want to make a difference. They yeah. want to impact change. And um, and that brings forward all the resources. We started at the YW, we started a program where we engaged men to reduce violence against women and girls. Hmm. And that happened because a very smart Harvard-trained PhD told me after 20 years of studying gender violence that until men cared, yeah. I would never solve the problem. Yeah, wow. And I was like, wow, Whoa. I'd never had that thought. <laughs> right. He knew exactly what he was talking about. So I came home and I said, okay, men. Yeah. Well, men came out of the woodwork. Oh, of course, because there's so many men who love, love women. women. <laughs> exactly. Who have sisters, who have mothers, mothers. who have wives, mm -hmm. who have daughters. And they're like, yeah. I see the value in this. Two in seconds. This yeah. Two seconds. Write a chart. Write a check. That's exactly what. <laughs> so we went from thinking we might need to engage men to having a night at the Predators and getting a half a million dollars. Wow. Because Sean Henry was like, I have a sister. Right. I have a wife. Right. I have a mother. And they're my best friends. And right. I didn't see my contribution, not his personally, but may it, the men's contribution to this issue. It's really a men's issue. Yeah. Violence against women is a men's issue. But that's another example of where yeah. you you find that little crystal, you find that little truth, mm. and there are people that will get behind it, and those people have resources. Mm. And those resources bring about the change. Yeah, but they, they, know, they pay for the change, They right? They grease the wheels. They, they allow it for out. it. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I really believe that if humanity wanted to solve world hunger, we would. Yeah. Because we have plenty of food. Hmm. Um Gosh, what a, I feel like this is such a rich and deep conversation because we could apply this concept so many places. I, um, you know, the vast majority of listeners on this podcast are women, and many of them are entrepreneurs. Many, I'll just put it at that. Many of them are entrepreneurs. And I feel like when you're on this journey, you might be thinking your journey is a solo journey. But I hear the way that you've created change in, in everything that you've touched. You and you, Pat Shea, you never look at things as a solo journey. And I and I almost think like for anyone who's listening, if they're thinking their journey is their own, maybe that's where we need to start changing. Maybe that's why the lesson that you're listening to today is going to be powerful for you because maybe we need to look around and say, 
what if what of what I'm doing needs more people around it? Mm-hmm. You know, what if, what if I create community around this or this or this, and how do I get more people on board so that it begins to create a change that affects more people than just, you know, me? Exactly. I would agree with that. So I did a little bit of soul searching when I left the YW and said, what do I want to do next? Because I've never really followed a pattern. And I, I uncovered that what matters to me is not just sort of being there and helping people when they need help, but I love to help people who are helping people. Hmm. So you fit perfectly, right? I mean, you wanted to elevate people who were doing good. Yeah. So I wanted to elevate you. And I really do think when we see that connectivity and we also understand the how giving works, we're really opened to give more freely and receive more freely. Mm. And um, I think that's a lesson all women can learn. Now, there's two sides to that coin. Women give way too much sometimes. Yeah, of themselves a lot. It's themselves is what they end up giving. And they give in a non-joyous, sort Mm. of more obligatory way. Mm. Like, these are my kids, I have to do this? <laughs> this is my mother, this is my husband, yeah. this is... And we learned that during COVID. I mean, what yeah. women had to do, what women did do mm. to support the family unit during COVID is just miraculous and really unfortunate. Yeah. I'm talking about sort of joyful giving that's easier, yeah. that's really coming from your soul and your spirit, and it's not costing you. It's really adding to your life. So joyful giving is really almost a a way to practice self-love because when you give freely and easily, you really just create a scenario where you're loving yourself and sharing a piece of yourself with someone. I love how you, I mean, because to me, this is sort of a a spin, but I love how you spin it because like, let's think about it this way. Um, Maybe there's a woman who volunteers to feed homeless people for, you know, this many hours of a particular day. The perspective that she gains in that moment, the love she feels, the gratitude she feels. You could be buzzing off that love for days, Mm -hmm. you know, because then you begin to feel gratitude for the life that you've been given, right? Gratitude for the whatever privilege you have. Gratitude that you had a roof over your head. There is nothing but good when we feel gratitude. And it is it is a full body experience. Like just even talking about it, like I I'm I'm touching my heart. That's I'm like, where it oh, comes that's from. Where I feel I feel that's where it. it comes from. And it just like Care Bear Stare, right? Comes out of your <laughs> comes out of your heart, like this beam of light to feel gratitude. And when I feel like when we give and when we give from that place, I mean, gosh, there's just so many positive emotions that you experience with it. I totally agree. So you the fact that you're even pointing to your heart just <laughs> makes me I well, of course you get this. But I say get out of your head. Giving doesn't come from your head. Yeah. It really doesn't. And it comes from here. It comes from your heart. It's a full body experience. Mm-hmm. And the benefits that you as the giver receive are much greater than what you gave. Because we know science is behind the fact that people who give are mentally and emotionally happier. Mm. They have purpose. They're grounded. They're connected. They're part of a bigger thing than just themselves. So they can weather storms. Um, they're physically healthier. I mean, there's data that shows you have a lower rate blood pressure rate. You sleep better. So if you're giving and you're connected, you just are a healthier human being. And then whatever God you believe in, that God says that those who give receive. And I've done that research. So you can look (laughs) in the Koran, you can look in the Bible, you can talk to someone who practices Judaism. It's all the same. Those who give receive. Yeah. And so it is kind of a self-help, self-love strategy. And I mean, I just want more people to pursue it and to promote it every single day. I I love that you call it self-love. Tell me how you got to that, uh, or or even self-care. Tell me how you got to that point where you said giving is the next self-care. We just need to change some of the thought process around it. How did you get there? Well, I feel responsible for myself. So I'm on this earth to really grow and develop the being of Pat Shea, right? And because I feel this connectivity, I feel responsible to the whole humanity, whole human race. 
And like I said, all the data shows that when I give, it's it's good for me. Mm. When I'm one with you, when I'm in the spirit with you, when my soul is um, connected with your soul, that lifts me up. And so it really is a health strategy that mm. I'm totally in control of. It doesn't cost anything. I can practice it at Kroger. I mean, <laughs> I can do it on the highway. Yeah. I mean, if you just go through your day thinking, what can I do now to make someone else's life easier? Mm. And you let someone go in front of you in the fast lane on 65, <laughs> or you take back someone's cart because she looks a little older than you are, Yeah, the buzz that you get, mm. the lifting up that you get, is so much greater than the actual act that you just yeah. did. And so it is a way all day long to make yourself feel good mm. and to really love yourself yeah. because you're loving others. You know, this this reminds me of um, what I kind of consider a phenomenon, that the subconscious, when we say negative things the sub about someone else, the subconscious does not know that you're talking about someone else or talking about yourself. And so those negative words are connected to negative emotions and the body starts processing those negative emotions, having no idea that you're talking about someone else. So when you're talking negatively about a situation or someone else, you're feeling all of that. Mm -hmm. Conversely, if you're speaking positively about someone else, or if you're um, thinking positive thoughts, feeling gratitude, giving, feeling awe or wonder or love or appreciation, uh, the subconscious feels all of that and the body releases, you know, emotion, the chemical residue yes. of emotions all there. And so the giving also does that. It triggers that same sort of thing. So you taking the shopping cart from a frazzled woman or older woman, you know, or you letting someone get in front of you, that's, I feel like, a nod every single day to the to the subconscious, to the soul, wherever, and it's only positive. It's only good when you do that. And it makes me feel good. Yeah. It brings joy to me. And so that's why it's really self-love. Do you feel like you've been trying to teach that to other people? Well, I think it is part of fundraising and running a nonprofit. Um, I don't know. You know, people like you say that I'm giving, but the reality is, I get so much. I mean, I have benefited so greatly from being in a relationship with you. Oh, um, thanks, Pat. You know, I have. I, I'm sitting here today. I, I think of the people I've met. I think of what I've learned, my experiences I've had, because you're in my life. I was at to dinner. John and I were having a glass of wine the other day at a um, restaurant here in Nashville. And this woman came over and said, are you Pat Shea? And I said, yes. And she said, oh, my gosh. And she told me a story of something I had done, which then let her do all of this great work. Wow. Right? I mean, she's helped hundreds and hundreds of women leave abusive relationships. Oh, my. But I was on cloud nine yeah. for the little thing I had done for her oh. 10 years ago. So, you know, I think if we care for ourselves by truly loving ourselves – by doing acts of kindness, by doing acts of giving, and shutting off that mental... Mm, um, like the hamster wheel, oh, the uh, negativity. Geez, the again, there's so much chaos going on in our minds. Yeah. And knowing that your mind and the voice in your mind is not you, mm. it is reptilian and it's trying to protect you. <laughs> so just shut that down and go here, 12 <laughs> inches down, listen go to, to the your heart, heart yeah. and live from that space. Wow. I wonder, you just even sharing that story of the woman who came up to you, and I wonder if that if that sense that you have, it's a purpose sense. It's a purpose meter where you start to, you see purpose in another person, and you say, oh, I know what that looks like, and I know if I can just help this person on, in this way, yeah. I can get them closer to purpose. So for like that woman, you helped her in even the small part that you the small difference you made. Supported at what she wanted to do. But you got her to a point where she mm -hmm. could help all of these women get out of abusive relationships. She was operating on purpose, and you had your little purpose radar up, and you were helping. Well, I think what we do, and I'm guilty of this, is we know something. Like you knew about Amstigator, right? You knew that. That is our essence, our soul, our heart speaking. That is the true you telling you, this is an opportunity, yeah. go for it. If you don't act on that, your mind is really negative, mm. and your mind will start to rationalize why you shouldn't do it. Yeah, we're well, gonna—it's gonna spend money. You're gonna—it's yeah. you're gonna fail. Everybody's out there doing it. I mean, <laughs> so you really need someone outside you 
to come in and say your gut was right. Yeah. Don't listen to that mind. Listen to your gut. <laughs> and I do think I do that frequently for people because when people come to me, they say, I had this idea. I had this thought. I have this belief. They're normally coming from mm-hmm. their heart or their gut. And they need somebody to say, that's what you should listen to. Turn that mind off. <laughs> There's a great quote. Your mind is a wonderful tool, but a horrible master. <laughs> and I live by that. Do yeah. not let your thoughts run your life. Yeah, I love that. The other thing I think you represent so well that I always, when I think of you, I think of this, is that you are the person who's like, let's do it. Yeah. You're a let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. I want to have a dinner. Let's do it. You know, let's get everyone together. Let's do it. <laughs> well, I have a lot of faith that things work out. Yeah. Because, again, when you put a group of people together that all want the same outcome, they all work together to make yeah. it happen. I'm, I am scheduling. This is insane. I'm working on a family reunion. My dad was one of 13, and I'm, Whoa. I'm one of the caregivers of my 95-year-old mother. So I've reached out to all these cousins I don't know, and I've said, let's get together for a weekend next April. Wow. And I'm crazy, but I believe... <laughs> That those who show up will be so invested in the weekend, it'll all go fine. Oh, yeah. Right? Kind of like our dinners. <laughs> you know, you get 12 women around the table. They're all invested in being a great participant and having a wonderful time. Yeah. So you can kind of let it go. Well, isn't it true? You're you're also, I think, a really good example of this, of like, you, you put out and energy into the world, and you get back what you put out. Like, you, you are such a great do. example of that. Because when you bring... You do bring ease and flow and excitement and creativity to it. And like, we can do this. Empowerment. You bring empowerment. And so because you look at the world that way, you approach situations that way, everything comes back to you in that same way. It's it's so beautiful to watch. It's right. like, it's a for me, it's an amazing example of your attitude runs everything. Like my, my Lauren Lowry, my attitude runs everything. If I believe I can do it, oh, I really can. You know, just like if I believe this is going to be a problem, oh, it'll be a problem. Exactly. What you put out <laughs> is what you get back. <laughs> what you give is normally what you need. Oh, wait. Which I believe strongly. What you give, give is almost always what you need. Okay, give me an example. Well, so you came to me with this idea, and mm. I supported your idea. What do I need? I need people to support my ideas. Mm. I live on people supporting my ideas, right? If I had an idea for a dinner party or a program or a concert or whatever, and nobody came to me and said, that's a good one. Let me be behind. Let me be your wing woman. Yeah. You know, that kind of concept. So you do give, I think, what you need. Mm. And I really goes back to self-love again. I think we all give love to get love, mm. right? So I, um, I've seen that time and time again, that we transmit the energy we want back. We give what we need to receive. It's pretty much a constant flow. Yeah. So. Well, that is even now, the more I think about it, that's even the foundation of like the love languages that mm-hmm. uh, just how many multiple, multiple million times bestseller book. Yes. I wish uh, I'd written that one. Yeah. Right. Gary Chapman did an incredible job. And it's it's it has stood the test of time. Mm-hmm. And one of the major concepts is we love people the, in the way that we want to be loved. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would have never thought of it in a space outside of a loving relationship that, no, we give what we need. Well, you know, we communicate with our our mouth, our voice, our language. We communicate with our thoughts. But I think we really communicate sort of at the soul level, the energy level. I think that Giving is like a currency mm. that souls that that the real me, the me that's been me since I was brought onto this earth, and the me that you know I will be until I leave. I'm an energy, right? Yeah. I'm in a human body, but I'm an energy. I'm an essence, and I really do think that currency of giving is the way that humans connect. It's part of that connectivity. So that is beautiful, Pat. Well, it it makes a lot of sense to me. And I remember a long time ago, I probably was 23, I had read a book by Margaret Wheatley called Leadership in the New Science. And she used an analogy where if you look at an aspen forest, acres and acres, miles of aspen trees, go to Montana, and you'll Mm -hmm. see a whole mountain covered with aspen trees. They have a single root system. What? I didn't know that. A single root system. Or when I was in Costa Rica, I learned about, uh, what are they called, ant cutters? 
cutter ants. And these are these little ants. They're kind of big for being ants, but they they work as a system, and they cut the leaves off trees with their little mm. teeth or whatever they use. They carry the pieces of leaves that they've cut from point A to point B, and then they also carry an ant that's cleaning the leaf while they're carrying the leaf, <laughs> and then they go over here and bury it, and they create what's needed for other trees to grow. Oh, my gosh. And I just think this this concept of being an ant cutter yeah. or being an aspen tree is what we are. I mean, if you get far enough away, if you look at that web telescope and you get oh. far enough out there, gosh. we have to look like a bunch of cutter ants and we have to look yeah. like a bunch of aspen trees. Yeah. You know. Those James Webb telescope images, oh, every time they God. come out, there was um, just even last week some new images were released. I sat and stared at those pictures. I mean, I stared at them for probably 15 or 20 minutes in awe, in wonder. Mm -hmm. How can we not feel minuscule? Yes. In in the knowledge of that gorgeous beauty that's hundreds and hundreds and millions of miles away, light years and away. And billions of years old. Billions of years old. Yeah. And then here we are, and I'm concerned. Over that a I, parking spot at right, Kroger. Or that I forgot <laughs> to put the, the laundry in the dryer. Like, mm -hmm. get over it. I this know. is ridiculous. Uh, that has, that has reframed um, and supported this belief I have. I mean, my favorite thing about seeing those pictures is sort of the reinforcing that the universe is still being created oh, yeah. and that this whole giving that we're doing is part of creating our mm. space. So this moment in time and the moment we're going to have in a minute and a minute is all brand new, right? And we can lean into that with our giving, with our love. We can lean into that yeah. and make it something, or we can just let it happen and watch it. But we are part of a universe that's still creating. Yeah. So we can change everything. We can change everything about the future. Yeah. You know what? It's To me, it's a beautiful dichotomy, something that I, I think about a lot, actually, is that we can create and we can also still be created. We can be both we, the art and the artist. I totally agree with that. Isn't that beautiful? Like, what a beautiful concept. And we're seeing it, like, as we're saying, in that James Webb, those photos, those are, they're called star nurseries. Those are the places where the stars are being born. It's like, melt my face. Like, this is so incredible. And we get to witness it, you know, I that know. we have the technology now. And it and actually makes me think even deeper, which is, uh, to, to this place, which is, if those things already existed and we just didn't know because we didn't see them. What other things exist around us all the time that we just don't know or don't see? Either we don't have the technology or we don't have the understanding or the wherewithal to see what's right in front of us. And I and I think about that, and that becomes a that becomes a prayer of mine of like, let me see what I'm missing here. Mm -hmm. What am I missing? I'll take the time it needs to take. I'll I'll take the silence I need to take. Show me what's here, because I believe everything, like you're saying, I believe everything's already here. We just haven't found it, or we haven't realized it's there. The answers are there. Let's find them. Let's wait for them. So please, God, universe, whoever you want to yes. pray to, show me what am I missing here? Mm -hmm. What's here that I'm not seeing? Yes. One of the neat things about that whole telescope, and I think that was put up 20 years ago, and we're just now getting back oh, the pictures, amazing. is it crashes so many mental models. Mm. And that's, I see, a real barrier for people every day. They get stuck and believe mental models are real. Mm. And that construct drives their decision-making. Like the idea that winner takes all is a mental model that's wrong. Yeah. There is no all, and there's no winner. It's all of us. Yeah. We're together. And when you look out into, like, the universe – you know, there was an idea at one time that we were the only solar like that. Yeah, we were the only we ones. Were, we were it. There, there was questions about, is there life other than Earth? Yeah, yeah. I mean, how could there not be life right, when, when stars look, are still mm. being born today? Yeah. And we've been around, I think, I don't know, I think Earth's been around for like 5 billion yeah, years Yeah, I think it something. was the last, I might, I might be wrong, but I think it's 4.65 billion. I think you're right. It's I right, think that's right what around it is. 5 billion. And we've been on this Earth as in this state for about... 200 million. Mm. 
Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, something like I don't remember. I don't Although mean, I was just reading, I will tell you, uh, the man who just recently won a Nobel Prize in, I forget which for, uh, area of study, he is responsible for finding another breed of humans, D- Denisovians. So we have the Neanderthals, we have Homo sapiens, Homo erectus, and now we have Denisovians. Like, this man, it was just incredible. Like, okay, wow, he found a bone that's 40,000 years old. You yes. know, and then we as humans liked it. Some people like to think that, oh, we're, we've only been here 3,500 years. And I'm like, yeah, no, Actually, I not said 20 million, I meant 200,000. We oh. have not been here very long, not yeah. compared to the to the. When you're looking at 4.65 billion, no. right? And then when you're looking at, you know, light years away that are being formed. Yeah. So I think the big, you know, the creation of what they consider the universe is like hundreds of billions of years. Isn't it incredible? So like when we question, this goes back to just question everything because frame of reference and mental models Mm. are self-made by man Mm. and they create the way that we operate and we do and we live and they're wrong a lot of the times. (laughs) Well, that's, and that it's interesting because I, I just recently put out a, a podcast episode about that, like on the very, just very basic level of, I was looking at our ideas of success. You know, so many people, will judge their success based on something that they didn't even create. It was a model of something else that they've just subscribed to. You know, who told you that this indicates success or that indicates success? Is it your view of success or Mm -hmm. is it what's really going to mean success for you? And so to your point, question question everything. Well, and going back to the beginning of our conversation, a lot of people believe those that there are those who give and those who need and receive. And I'm saying, no, those who give are also receiving. And those who are receiving are also giving. And it's one fluid, you know, thought. It's one fluid action. But there's a mental model around philanthropy. And there's a mental model around um, scarcity that are Mm. wrong. You know, there is plenty. We have enough. Oh, there's more than enough. We just need to let it go. We just (laughs) need to let it be and flow and think about sort of the bigger picture. And I don't think the winner takes all. And I don't think the early bird gets the worm because they're worms all darn day. (laughs) You know, it's like just question things. Yeah. And um, live in your heart and be amazed. Mm. Uh, I do think there are miracles every single moment of every single day. And uh, it doesn't take us long or far to find the next one. Yeah, it's our own blindness, I think, that keeps mm-hmm. us from seeing it. What's next for Pat Shea? Well, I am taking on some projects right now with people and on issues that matter to me. Mm. And so I'm sort of scouting for things that really I think are important right now. And women's reproductive rights are really important to me. Uh, what we're going to do with voters' rights is really important to me, mm. to give you two examples. But I really, yeah. I want to stay in the space that matters. You know, yeah. I'm 63, and so I only want to work on what I think is really, really important. And then I care a lot about who I work with. Yeah, I was out with uh, Aaron Dorn last night and Harry Allen, and those guys are two of the co-founders for Studio Bank. Mm. I'm on their board. I wouldn't be on their board if I didn't think about those two men as being the great leaders that I know they are. Mm. They are solid from the inside out. Mm. They lead to serve the people that they serve. They're not They're not self-serving. They're not um, wondering what's in it for them. And I think leadership is so important right now. We really gotta find true, honest leaders. And then we really have to show up and support those men and women who yeah. can take us where we need to go, regardless of whether it's a, a daycare center, a political institution, a corporation. Yeah. We kind of start need to start, you know. Doesn't that require us to look outside of ourselves? Cuz I feel like so pe- so many people just get like like closed into like here's my problem, here's what I need, my problems and my needs and my wants and they just get, you know, in that bubble of self. I, I what you're describing requires someone all of it requires them to look outside of themselves. Well, get out of their heads. And and I really think the way we change the world is change from within. Yeah. And so Aaron and Harry are guys who have really done their own work. Yeah. And I feel like that's all of our responsibility to start inside and get ourselves straight, get ourselves aligned with, you know, what we know is good and what we believe and then sort of stay stable to that and not fall victim to the crap that we're sold Mm. about what matters, who's important, uh, what's relevant, how to be happy. I mean, there's so much 
bull about what makes you happy, <laughs> You right? could cuss if you wanted to, there's, Pat. Well, there's a, someone said this to me the other day, and I thought it was great. No one ever sees a U-Haul behind a hearse, right? You can't take it with you. So the idea that we just try to amass fortune and power and wealth and keep it all to ourselves. I'm in love with Mackenzie Scott. What she is doing right now I think is really critically going to change philanthropy. Yeah. And I loved what uh, Patagonia did just recently mm. when they gave the company back to the foundation. That's right. So, yeah. I mean, I really think the way that uh, we see capitalism and resources and power and wealth needs to change and needs to be back to this idea that we're all connected, yeah. that we're one human race, and we're really here to work on ourselves and be a good partner with everybody else that we're got the opportunity to share this time on earth with you know i don't know it seems simple but it must be much more complicated because there are a lot of people who don't follow this thought <laughs> they don't they don't get it <laughs> no oh no it's all about what they got when they went home you yeah. know what they got to win so yeah it's crazy well we'll get there pat i think we we'll, will we'll evolve so what's next for me is maybe just trying to keep pushing this message working on what matters to me and working with yeah. people who i think really can make a difference. Yeah. Change one-to-one is big change. Mm-hmm. You yes. Know? And helping people who really can help others. And there are some great people, and you're one of them. Thanks, Putting Pat. the spotlight on people doing good, creating conversations that open people's minds, you know, talking about the soul and energy of this time together is really important. I just love you so much. I Thank you, Pat. I love you. I love you. <laughs> Thank you. I love how she said that I believe the way we change the world is to change from within. Isn't that the truth? I mean, we have to get aligned. We have to stay stable. And there's just so much BS and it's keeping us apart from one another. If we could just see how connected we all are, we could affect a lot of change. And you'll see some really amazing quotes and episode clips from Pat on the Amstigator Instagram page this week. Make sure to follow us over there. And then also make sure to sign up for my emails. I release a new episode every single Tuesday. It goes live at midnight. And then I always send an email that morning telling you about this week's guest. So just go to amstigator.com. You can sign up right there. You can also send me a direct email. Super easy. It's lauren at amstigator.com. And I got to tell you, it is such an honor to sit with these women and tell these incredible stories. My path to purpose is right here on this podcast. So it's my joy, truly, to bring these conversations every week, to encourage you, to teach you, to help you see you are not alone. We can create community around self-discovery, you know, and remembering what we're here to do. Because I do think we know. I think we know. I think we just have to trust the things that we've already been leaning toward and let those gifts that we all have, let those guide us. Coming up next week, just in time for Thanksgiving, I'm releasing the second half of my episode with two of my best friends here in Nashville. I am so grateful for these two women. And you're going to hear more real talk as they started asking me questions. So I'm the one being interviewed. I'm actually excited to listen back to it because we recorded it during a really trying time in my life. So I'm kind of interested to hear bits and pieces from this like time capsule. But as you go through this week, I encourage you shine your light, lead with your heart and live life purposefully. I'm Lauren Lowry and this is Amstigator. Amstigator.